0: Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly web scene for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, As I Have Loved You. It's based upon the lectionary readings from May 6th, 2018. What's the weirdest commandment? Don't make graven images? Remember the Sabbath? Avoid house envy? I'd like to propose it as the one Jesus gives his disciples in this week's gospel reading. This is my commandment, he tells them shortly before he's arrested and crucified, that you love one another as I have loved you. Why do I call this commandment weird? Well, think about it. Can we be ordered to love? Does love obey decrees? My guess is most of us would say no. Shaped as we are by Hollywood or Jane Austen novels or romantic poetry, we usually think of love as spontaneous and free-flowing. We fall in love. Love is blind, it happens at first sight, it breaks our hearts, and its course never runs smooth. Even if we put our culture's hokey cliches aside, we know that authentic love can't be manipulated, simulated, or rushed without suffering serious distortion. Those of us who have kids understand full well that commanding them to love each other never works. The most we can do is insist that our children behave as if they love each other. Share your toys, say sorry, don't hit, use kind words. But these actions, often performed with gritted teeth and rolling eyes, aren't the same as what Jesus is talking about in John's Gospel. Jesus doesn't say, act as if you love. He doesn't give his disciples, or us, the easy out of doing nice things with clenched hearts. Nor would I want him to. Nothing feels as hollow as a loving act performed mechanically. Moreover, I doubt that the people who flocked to Jesus would have done so if they sensed that his compassion was thin or forced. He says, love as I have loved. As in, for real. As in, the whole bonafide package. Authentic feeling, genuine engagement, real action. Honestly, does it sound like he's asking for the impossible? Maybe he is. G.K. Chesterton once wrote that the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Imagine what would happen to us, to the church, to the world, if we took this commandment of Jesus seriously. What could Christendom look like if we obeyed orders and cultivated impossible love? I ask these questions fearfully because I don't know how to answer them, even for myself. I mean, I know fairly well how to do things. I know how to make care packages for the homeless, or bring dessert to the church potluck, or send checks to my favorite charities. But do I know how to love as Jesus loved? To feel a depth of compassion that's gut-punching? To experience a hunger for justice so fierce and so urgent that I rearrange my life in order to pursue it? To empathize until my heart breaks? Do I want to? Most of the time, I'll be honest. I don't. I want to be safe. I want to keep my circle small and manageable. And I want to choose the people I love based on my own affinities and preferences, not on Jesus' all-inclusive commandment. Charitable actions are easy, but cultivating my heart, preparing and pruning it to love, becoming vulnerable in authentic ways to the world's pain, those things are hard, hard and costly. So what can I do? Where must I begin? Jesus offers a single, straightforward answer, abide in my love. Following on the heels of last week's lectionary, Jesus extends the metaphor of the vine and branches and calls us once again to abide, to rest, to cling, to make ourselves at home, not simply in him, but in his love. My problem is that I often treat Jesus as a role model and then despair when I can't live up to his high standards. But abiding in something is not the same as emulating it. In the vine and branches metaphor, Jesus' love is not our example, it's our source. It's where our love originates and deepens, where it replenishes itself. In other words, if we don't abide, we can't love. Jesus' commandment to us is not that we wear ourselves out, trying to conjure love from our own easily depleted resources. Rather, it's that we abide in the holy place where human love becomes possible. That we make our home in Jesus' love, the most abundant and inexhaustible love in existence. As is so often the case in our lives as Christians, Jesus' commandment leads us straight to paradox. We are called to action via rest, called to become love as we abide in love. The commandment, or better yet the invitation, is to drink our fill of the source, which is Christ, spill over to bless the world, and then return to the source for fresh infilling. This is our movement, our rhythm, our dance, over and over again. This is where we begin and end and begin again. Love one another as I have loved you. Abide in my love. In the end, these are finally not two separate actions. They are one and the same. One impossible commandment to save the world. For books this week, Dan reviews His Holiness the Dalai Lama, An Appeal to the World, The Way to Peace in a Time of Division. For the last 58 years, since 1959, the 14th Dalai Lama, Tenzin Gyatso, has lived in exile in India, or he has exercised his spiritual leadership over Tibetan Buddhism. In fact, there are about 100,000 Tibetan refugees living in India, and for that matter, about 400 million Buddhists living in China. In 1989, Gyatso won the Nobel Peace Prize, and in 2007, the US Congressional Gold Medal. In this little book, which is a series of 28 questions and answers with the German journalist Franz Alt that were taken from 30 plus interviews, The Dalai Lama urges the world to adopt what he calls a secular ethics. In his view, the secular ethics transcends all religious, ethnic, national, and cultural boundaries. Whereas we are all born without any religion, he appeals to values that he says are innate in all humans, like benevolence, love, compassion, respect, tolerance, and nonviolence. Humans can get by without religion, says the Dalai Lama. His proposed global secular ethics is more important than the classical religions. These inner and innate values don't contradict any religion, but neither do they depend on any religion. And so, in a world of violence and conflict, some of which is caused by religion, it is no longer enough to ground ethics in religious values. This rather complex claim is addressed by a staccato of short and simple questions and answers. For example, could the next Dalai Lama be a woman? You are for equal opportunity, aren't you? Answer, yes. What do you mean by inner values? The result of the format is not quite what one might expect. Instead of a sort of deep and careful wisdom, what you get is something like bumper sticker responses. For example, he insists, I don't have any enemies, only people I haven't met yet. There are a handful of questions about the status of Tibet, but that complex geopolitical issue will not be adequately addressed in a book with one-paragraph answers to generalised questions. Still, the Dalai Lama is a voice for peace in a violent world, and I, for one, am grateful for what he continues to do to call us all to our common humanity. For Movies This Week, Dan reviews My Happy Family. This domestic drama from the Central Asian country of Georgia enjoyed positive reviews when it showed at the Sundance and Berlin Film Festivals. Dan watched it after reading an article that included it as one of several hidden gems on Netflix streaming. The story features a 50-something school teacher named Manana, who, against all social and religious expectations in a conservative country, leaves her family. What follows is shame and blame by just about everyone, especially by her brother, Rizzo, who patronizes Manana, and her belligerent mother, Lamara. She's shaming the family. It's a disgrace. She's ungrateful. Your husband, Soso, is a good man. Was even a family intervention to guilt trip her into returning. To all of this, Manana has a firm response. I'm a grown woman, so stop trying to control me and lecture me. At high school reunion, she learned secrets about Soso that she didn't know, and back at home, their son, Lasha, and daughter, Nino, add to the domestic turmoil. One thing's for sure. At her apartment on the outskirts of town, every time she opens a door to the outside balcony, there's a strong wind blowing through the trees. This movie is in Georgian with English subtitles. And finally, for poetry, on the sixth week after Easter, True Love by David White. (coughs) There is a faith in loving fiercely the one who is rightfully yours, especially if you have waited years, and especially if part of you never believed you could deserve this love. beckoning hand held out to you this way i'm thinking of faith now and the testaments of loneliness and what we feel we are worthy of in this world years ago in the hebrides i remember an old man who walked every morning on the gray stones the shore of baying seals who would press his hat to his chest in the blustering salt wind and say his prayer to the turbulent jesus hidden in the water and i think of the story of the storm and everyone waking and seeing the distant yet familiar figure far across the water calling to them, and how we are all preparing for that abrupt waking and that calling and that moment we have to say yes, except it will not come so grandly, so biblically, but more subtly and intimately in the face of the one you know you have to love, so that when we finally step out of the boat toward them, we find everything holds us and everything confirms our courage, and if you wanted to drown, you could, but you don't because finally after all this struggle and all these years, you don't want to anymore. You've simply had enough of drowning and you want to live and you want to love and you'll walk across any territory in any darkness, however fluid and however dangerous, to take the one hand you know belongs in yours. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for May 6, 2018. I'm Debbie Thomas.